Well, moms, today is your day. It's a day to say thank you for loving us, caring for us, and guiding us. It's a day to recognize all you do and all you are to us, your perfect, wonderful, amazing children. Thanks for all the early mornings and for taking care of the things we take for granted. Thanks for never giving up on us, even when we stress you out. Thanks for making sure we have what we need and for giving us your heart even when you're sick and tired. Thanks for working hard even when we're a handful and for loving us unconditionally when our attitude is anything but lovable. You're our everything, Mom, and we'd be a mess without you. Today, we thank God for the wonderful gift of you. Happy Mother's Day. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms there at home or at one of our campuses. I hope this is going to be a wonderful Mother's Day for you. I hope it's already started out that way in your life. Uh, as you saw uh, from our bumper, you know, it's not easy being a mom. Not everyone is always so happy. In fact, sometimes I think being a mom is probably one of the most challenging jobs in the world. Now, as a man, I can't honestly totally relate to that. It's just from my observations. But I did come across something recently, a uh, piece that was penned by a mom that I thought you might appreciate. I am sure that she was kind of frazzled and exhausted when she penned this piece, but she entitled it, I Wish I Were a Bear. So, Moms, have you ever wished that you were a bear? Maybe after you read this or hear this, you'll feel that way. Hopefully nobody's called you a bear, but listen to what she said. If you're a bear, you get to hibernate. You do nothing but sleep for six months. Oh, I could get used to that. And another thing, before you hibernate, she wrote, you're supposed to eat yourself stupid. That wouldn't bother me either. If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat anyone who bothers you or your cubs. And if your cubs get out of line, well, you swat them too. Your husband, well, your husband expects you to growl when you wake up. He expects you to have hairy legs and excess body fat. He likes it. Oh, I wish I was a bear. What do you think about that? Moms, can you relate to any of that? You know, it's, it is hard to be a mom. Um, I think about, you know, moms who stay at home and how you know, challenging that can be, or moms who work outside of home as well, like my mom did most of my years growing up, or Moms who are single moms. I think about my grandmother whose husband abandoned her with three little kids, my mom and her two siblings, and she raised them all the way up. She never married again. And when I think about all these complexities that go with motherhood, you know, it is easy to be so busy and so frazzled trying to keep up with everybody, trying to do multitasking, job in the house, job outside the house, kids, husband, whatever it is, and sometimes you forget yourself. It's like you lose track of who you are because your whole life has been about everybody else 
in all of their needs. But you know, I want to expand that a little bit because it's not just moms who have a challenge. I think it's just challenging, period, to be a woman in the world. It always has been and unfortunately still is. I think about the plight of women worldwide and how so oftentimes women are treated like merchandise or a sex object. Yes, even here, obviously, in our own country, we have seen and have heard. Or I think about women who want to be moms, but for whatever reason, they're unable to conceive. And, you know, on a Mother's Day, there's joy, but then there's also that sense of kind of pain and that, that sense of hurt because I want to be a mom. Or I think about moms who've lost a child and how challenging and hard that can be. Or I think about moms with prodigal sons or prodigal daughters. You know, they're just, they're just a lot of women who are going around this life with a deep woundedness in their soul, with a deep hurt. In the midst of all of that, I think one of the biggest challenges that it presents for women in particular is this sense of identity. Who am I? What does it really mean to be a woman? What does it really mean to be a wife? Or what does it mean to be a, um, a mother? And maybe you're struggling with that a little bit. I, I think that's because of the kind of culture that we live in today. When you think about it, uh, everybody wants to tell us who we should be, and especially women, especially young girls, especially moms and wives. I mean, one of the messages that you hear out there, ladies, from the culture, and particularly from the various forms of media. That might be, you know, uh, movies. It might be television shows. It could be talk shows. It's the internet. It's social media. It's magazines. It's billboards. There's a bunch of voices coming at you from marketers and everybody else telling you what, you know, what your look should be like. Here's what you should look like. Or, you know, here's your body shape that you should have. Or, you know, here's how you should think about yourself, sexually speaking. Or, you know, here's the kind of clothes you need to wear with the right label on them, or your accessories need to have this kind of a label, or here's the car you should drive, or here's the career that you should pursue, or here's the kind of man that you should marry, or these are the kind of kids that you should raise. Wow, so many voices coming at you. It's like, what voice are you supposed to listen to? Who are you supposed to be? And you know, that, that's not just a, a situation for women. It's also true for us as men as well. And while a lot of this message can speak to men, I, I really want to call all the guys who are listening to me to pay attention to what I'm saying and to become a champion and encourager for the women who are in your life. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at a woman that I think is a wonderful example and model for all of us to follow, really, and especially for those of you who are ladies. We don't hear much about her. She's in the Old Testament, and actually she's probably the first woman to ever lead a nation. Her name, biblically speaking, is Deborah, but we oftentimes think of her as Deborah, and she was a judge, and she lived a long time ago in the period of the judges in Israel. And that's the period between when Joshua stopped being their leader and before the first king, King Saul, showed up, Israel was in a time when they were ruled by judges. And there's kind of a rhythm that they were going through at that time. And that rhythm came down to something like this. Israel would listen and obey God, and he'd get them good rulers to take care of them. And then Israel would 
fall away from God and they would rebel and God would allow the enemy, the Canaanites and others, to kind of beat up on them in order to get them to finally repent of their sins and cry out to God. And then God would get them another judge who would kind of rescue them and rule over them for several decades. And then they'd go back down again and come back up and go back down. And Deborah happens to be one of those judges who rules over them in a difficult period of time. There was a Canaanite king by the name of Jabin, and he and his general Sisera were oppressing the people, and the people were crying out to God. And so God raises up this woman. Her name is Deborah, or Deborah. And I want to take you to Judges chapter 4 and read a little bit about her fascinating life. Now, I'm going to read a longer passage of the, of the uh, story because while her life is so fascinating, there's some amazing things happen. So here we go. We're going to start at verse 4 of Judges chapter 4. Deborah, the wife of Lapidot, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Benoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, watch the subtle difference between Deborah and her general Barak. He says, I'll go if you go with me. And watch what she says. Pick it up here in verse 9. She says, very well, she replied. I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be in the hands or at the hands of a woman. And she's not talking about herself. So hang in there. So Deborah went with Barak of Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Then Deborah said to Barak, I'm in verse 14 now, if you're following. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. The Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Haroshet Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran into the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Chazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please, he said, give me some water. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks if, if I'm here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer 
and a tent peg, a tent peg in her hand. And as she drove the tent peg through this temple into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. (laughs) Wow, you talk about some amazing women. Deborah and Jael, do not, do not cross those ladies. Pretty intense, right? Well, I want to look closer at Deborah's life. And let's talk a little bit about what made her so unique. And what are some of the principles we can draw out of Deborah's life? And I hope you read chapter 4 and chapter 5. That will help us understand ourselves, and especially those of you who are ladies, on this Mother's Day, what it means to have your sense of identity, your sense of value and worth. You know, one of the commentaries that's made about Deborah uh, is in chapter 5, verse 7. It just simply says, there are few people left in the villages of Israel until, all right, until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. So here she is, and she's a mother for Israel. And the question becomes, what does that mean? That's where we find our principles. So let's start. Principle number one. It means that she only sought to please God, which means that you should only seek to please God. And that's true for all of us, ladies, especially for you. Only seek to please God. Now think about what that means for your life for just a couple of moments. You see, Deborah spoke and acted on God's behalf. So she wasn't a politician at all. In other words, she didn't seek to please uh, certain groups that were lobbying her. Uh, She didn't feel like she needed to represent a constituency. She didn't need to earn anybody's vote. God had called her. And so when she spoke, she didn't speak to please people. She spoke to please the God who had called her to lead Israel. Which kind of leads to something I want to share with you. And if you haven't figured this out, it is much easier to please God than it is to please people. It's much easier to please God than it is to please people. You see, I think one of the tensions that we oftentimes wrestle with is our desire to please people is really our search for value. It's our search for being told that we have worth, that we matter, that we're good, or that we're good at doing something. So, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can to please certain people, hoping that they'll recognize us and say nice things about us. And when they do, you know, that, that kind of lavishes on us that sense of, okay, I've got worth, I've got value. And that's just not a good way to live our lives. And some of you struggle with that. I know I struggle with that in my own personal life. I guess the test for knowing whether it's a struggle for you or not is to think about the last time you tried to really please somebody. For you ladies, it might have been try to please your husband or please your kids or to please a peer, a friend, or please somebody at work. 
I mean, we all have those people in our life that we look to for affirmation and we kind of perform for them, hoping that they'll <laughs> applaud us in some way with words or um, uh, by gestures or by gifts or something to tell us that what we have done and who we are has value. Well, here's my question. When you performed, when you were expecting to get an at a girl or at a boy and nothing came, no applause, no affirmation, no encouragement, maybe, maybe some criticism. What did that do to you? Did it make you mad? Did it make you sad? Did you kind of retreat and decide you're going to try harder next time? If that's what it left you with, then you know, right? That's the test. Then you know that, yeah, I am looking for my sense of self-worth from others. Because honestly, we've talked about this before. The way I know myself is, is really through how others see me. That's why it's so important to get our eyes not focused on others and their opinions and feelings about us, but on God. Because here's the truth. You do not have to perform to be approved and loved by God. He chooses to love you, irregardless of your performance, how good or how bad that you are. But a word to the men who are listening to me right now, sons, dads, husbands, guys in general, listen. One of the most valuable things that you can do for women in your life is to speak truth about them from God's perspective, to affirm them the way that God affirms them, to love them the way that God loves them, to accentuate their value to him and therefore their value to you. We have to work together to build each other up, don't we? That's one of the greatest gifts that you can give a woman in particular is to affirm with words of affirmation the good things, the valuable things that you see in her life. It's just too easy for us to pick out the negative things, and that never helps. Focus on the positive, and whatever negative things are there, you'll find that quickly they'll become minimized. They may even disappear. And of course, that's true for all of us, each and every one of us. So it's much easier to please God than it is to please people. When I look at Deborah's life, you know, she didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. She just told them what God had to say. When she gave leadership to people, it wasn't to make them happy or to make them feel happy. It was to ultimately please God. And what I would say to you who are listening, especially moms, ladies, is your job isn't to tell your kids what they want to hear or your husband what he wants to hear or any other guy in your life what they want to hear. Even though that might be tempting because telling them what they want to hear may, may cause them to like you more, may cause them to be happy with you, may cause them to stop arguing with you. You've got to tell them what God has to say. You've got to tell them what God's values are. And if they don't like it, remember, you weren't born to please them. Ultimately, you're born to please God and God alone. Principle number two. I look at Deborah's life and I realize this mother of Israel, right, was someone who was able to accept who God had made them to be. 
And so I encourage you to accept who God has made you to be. And who he's made you to be is unique and is special to him. And again, to everybody else listening to me, all the guys, listen, you and I need to understand that and praise the women in our life for who God has made them to be. That's what really matters. It's not our job to fashion them and mold them into who we want them to be. You know, when I uh, did a little bit of research on Deborah, I thought what I would do is look at how artists have thought of her in time and in history. And I, I found some pictures of how people have kind of pictured Deborah in the Old Testament. And it's really interesting. Uh, the women, you know, the features, the looks are very much like Hollywood, okay? You know, it's a, a beautiful woman, uh, a fair, you know, kind of woman, but kind of a strong look. You know, what you might expect if you're creating a Hollywood movie. And the truth is, we have no idea what Deborah looked like at all. So even though we don't know what she looked like physically, there's enough in the passage, in the story, we do get a sense of what she looked like in terms of her internal person, her internal beauty. And internally speaking, who she was, well, she was a very beautiful woman. And all of that beauty in her life uh, came out of some attributes that she had. For instance, she was confident in her calling. Ladies, when you're confident in who you are in Christ, I tell you what, it brings a beauty into your life that surpasses what looks might be like. Remember, all of us, looks are here today and gone tomorrow, but the soul, the spirit lives on for eternity. And there's just something beautiful about a woman who is confident in who she is in Christ. And part of our job as men, as sons, as husbands, as brothers, is to instill this confidence in the women in our life. To help them realize how special they are to God. To recognize the gifts in their lives, the abilities in their life. And fan that flame. Which kind of takes me a second thought. And that is, she was comfortable in her gifting. I mean, she was a gifted woman. She was a prophet. She was a judge. She arbitrated cases. She was a leader. She was an advisor. She was wise. I mean, she was very, very gifted. And so are you. You're also very gifted. And that's why I want to encourage you to go on our website, wooddale.org, and you'll see a section there about finding your purpose. And if you haven't done the shape profile yet, ladies, please do that. And request a coach and have somebody sit down with you and help you realize how has God, you know, how has God outfitted you spiritually speaking? What passions and abilities has he given you? What's your personality like? What's your life experience like? What are those spiritual gifts God has put in your life? And and then focus on those and use those and just experience the, the joy and the fulfillment that comes when, you are, when you're in the groove, so to speak, with God, when you're letting God use you the way he's designed you. But there's another aspect in her life, and that is she was not intimidated in her environment. I mean, this is a woman leading in a man's world, but she did not let that intimidate her whatsoever. She was confident in who she was and how she was gifted how God had planned her life. You know, over the years, I've, I've run into some women who said to me, you know, culture shifted so much that 
there's almost like this stigma that if I'm a stay-at-home mom, if I'm not out working a career that somehow, you know, I'm, I'm less than being fulfilled, that there's something wrong with me. And uh, I love how Tony Campolo deals with this. He's a sociologist, and uh, uh, he responds to how he handled this uh, in terms of his wife. It actually is not really how he handled it, it's how she handled it. And let me just read to you what he said. He says, too many women are made to feel that they should apologize for being mother or housewives. In reality, such roles can be noble callings. When I was on the faculty of the University of Pennsylvania, there were gatherings from time to time which faculty members brought their spouses. Inevitably, some, women do- some woman doctor or sociologist would confront my wife with the question, and what is it that you do, my dear? My wife, who has given her life to raise our two sons, and who, by the way, is one of the most brilliantly articulate individuals I know, had a great response. She would say, I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant value of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for transformation of the social order into the teleologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. When she followed with that, and what is it you do? The other person's response would not be so overwhelming. I'm not saying you got to come up with something like that, but you get what I'm saying. Be comfortable with who God made you and where he where you are and and what you enjoy doing. Don't let the culture dictate to you who you have to be and how you have to live your life. All right, that takes us to a third principle. And that is, don't let your outer appearance take precedence over your inner beauty. We've already alluded to that a little bit. You know, don't, don't get so focused, right, on looking great on the outside that you neglect what's on the inside. Now, that doesn't mean you neglect your body. You don't take care of yourself. All of us should do that. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But far more important to focus on what God has done inside. Here's some interesting passages of scriptures that speak to that. For instance, it says in Proverbs 31, 30, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Or here's another uh, proverb. A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Okay, let's move off that verse. How about this one? First Peter chapter three. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. I remember a story I heard many, many uh, years ago, about who is the most beautiful woman in the world. And there was this uh, little boy in this village who got separated from his mom. And uh, he went to the mayor of the town. He said, my mom, my mom is missing. I'm, I, I, I got to find my mom. I'm lost. And the mayor said, well, settle down a little bit. What, is your, what does your mama look like? And the boy said, well, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Well, he said, that shouldn't be too hard to find. So he got his officials together and he said, go find the most beautiful women in the village. So they came back with five or six women and he said, which one is your mom? And the boy looked at each of the women. He said, none of them are. I said, my mom's the most beautiful woman in the world. Okay, so he sent his officials out to the greater realm. And I mean, they, they combed the realm and finally they found, you know, like the top 10 most beautiful women in all of the realm. They brought 
the women in and they put the little boy in front of them. He said, okay, which one is your mom? And the boy looked at each of the women. He said, none of them are my mom. I told you my mom is the most beautiful woman in the world. And the mayor grabs his head and he goes, I just can't believe this. He said, I have rounded up all the most beautiful women in the world. Your mom can't possibly be more beautiful than any of these women. And just about this time, this, this little older lady came walking by. She was kind of hunched over and and you could see the lines in her face. She'd lived kind of a hard life. And her, her hands were just a little bit gnarled from so much hard work. And when the little boy saw her coming and locked eyes with her, he jumped up and he ran toward her. He said, mother, mother. And he embraced her. And of course, she embraced him and tears were shared between the two of them. And when they finally settled down, he looked back at the mayor and he said, see, I told you, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? What is true beauty? If I were to ask you to nominate who you think in history has been one of the most beautiful women in the world, whose name would you nominate? Whose picture would you put up? When I thought about that, this picture came to my mind. Do you know her? That was Mother Teresa. Of course, she's gone home to be with the Lord. But you know, to look at her, if you've seen pictures of her, in magazines and throughout history, she, she was a little lady, kind of hunched over, bent over, not particularly physically attractive. But I guarantee you, there's a lot of people in the world who when they see that picture, they think she's one of the most beautiful human beings that's ever lived because of her great compassion for the least of these, for the outcasts in India. She's beloved. See, beauty, beauty doesn't have to be on the outside. As we already talked about, beauty is on the inside. And beauty comes from the character of Christ when we let him have control of our lives. How about you? What's that beauty, ladies, that you're developing in your life? You know, it's just one more thought that I have about Deborah Remember we read that passage earlier where it says that she was a, a mother in Israel, like a mother to all of Israel. You know, I think one of the reasons why is because she was such a force of stability. She was such a rock. She was always there. And when I thought about that, I thought about my own mom who passed away a couple of years ago. And I remember when I was ministering out in California, I didn't get to see my mom very often just maybe once or twice a year, which is really hard. Mom and I were very close growing up. And one year, I flew out to see my mom. And um, the flight got delayed, like big time. And I didn't get in until really late. By the time I got a car, and by the time I drove down to Fort Myers, because I had to fly into Tampa, and so I had a, you know, a couple-hour drive to get down there. By the time I showed up, at my mom and dad's place, it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I expected, you know, I'd have to get my flashlight out and kind of, because they live out in the country and kind of find my way to the trailer. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, they'd leave the door unlocked because I didn't want to wake anybody up. But as soon as I pulled into the yard, guess what? Lights are on in the house. And I knew that wasn't my dad. <laughs> I knew it was my mom. I got out of the car and the moment I got out of the car, I saw this flashlight coming like this toward me on the ground. It was my mom. She was not about to go to bed until her son came home. 
And that's who my mom was to the very day that she went home to be with the Lord. She was a mom who was always there, even though in her life, her father was never there. Even though in her life, there were many others who failed to show up for her. She was always there for me. Just like God is always there for you every day, waiting for you to come. He loves you, and he loves you, ladies, and he loves you, moms, on this Mother's Day. May God bless you, and we'll see you next weekend as we return to our series, Creed, and we talk about what's known as the doctrine of salvation. Sounds heavy, but I think you're going to get a lot out of it. The assurance, the conviction that you belong to Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all of our women, particularly for our moms. Bless them this Mother's Day in a rich and wonderful way. Thank you for their gift in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.